Good morning, church. It's a joy to be with you this morning. Happy New Year. While worship was going on, I saw a, uh, a vision. And I've been in the U.S. now for about 21 years. And so I love the snow in the sense of like to see it, not experience it. <laughs> it's a winter wonderland. And we don't have that kind of snow in South Africa. Here and there's a few flurries and sprinkles. But um, I was here in the worst snowstorm, I think, in 100 years. And uh, that night, there was a lot of friends that fell into ditches. And uh, we had a service that night, and many had to be pulled out. And uh, friends of mine that operate that kind of business went out and just pulled people out of ditches. And as I was standing there, worship was going on, I saw a vision connected to that. And I felt that the Lord was speaking to you, Pastor. And then our brother came up and shared the, this, the message of hope, and he connected it to Abram rescuing Lot. And I kind of saw that you were the one that was driving the rescue vehicle. And the cars that landed in ditches represents ministries that God has positioned you to very uniquely pull out of ditches. I felt the Lord said that like Abram, who went to capture, recapture his nephew Lot, whose destiny has been hijacked in battle. So God will cause you to go and rescue the lives and ministries of men and women who have in the midst of battle have been taken captive. And God will deliver them and set them free by a mighty arm. And there's, a, there's a mantle like as it was with Abram that is upon you as a father, a father in the kingdom, to heal, to restore, to raise up, and to bring back on track and on course those who have gone into the ditch of life. So whatever, whatever reason was, but God has graced you specifically to be able to reach out and to pull them out. And to repossession them so that they can finish the race well and finish strong and complete the destiny that God has for them. Amen. This morning I want to talk to you uh, from the subject, decisions determine destiny. Decisions determine destiny. My decisions of today determines my reality of tomorrow. And it's important to understand that choices get us to places. It gets us to people. It gives us access. It releases provision. But choices and decisions can also get us off track. But the good news is the very same choices that got us into that place. If we redirect, if we become aware what is the direction and make choices again, we can be redirected back to the course and the purpose that God has for us. And I'm encouraged by the word that God has given for this year. Forget the things that are behind you. 
and stretch out for that for which God has taken hold of you for. But if my decisions have positioned me geographically or positionally out of course, it is hard to forget the past if I'm still trapped in it. So the decision does start with an internal awareness and revelation. But now if I have been positioned out of course, off course, off track, off purpose. Not only must I now forget the pain, forget the wrong decisions. But now I must reset, recalibrate, get the new coordinates. To get me out from where I am and onto where God has determined for me to go. I love GPS because it represents life in the spirit. You put in the coordinates, and then in the invisible, a beam is sent from the place I haven't moved yet. But it's moved, a beam is sent and released to the place of my destination. It's marked with an X and a beam is sent back to where I am. And then it tells me, ETA, 43 minutes. There are a couple of routes that you can take. This is the shortest. This is tall roads, etc., etc. But what has just happened? I've completed the race. I've completed the journey before I started it. It's how God builds. That's why it's called, I am the beginning and I'm the end. Not two names, it's one name. He completes what he starts. And once you can see the completion, another way of putting it, Romans 8 says, He's the God who calls things which are not as if it is. So he goes right into your future. He exits it. He marks it. And then he pulls you back into the present. And then he opens his mouth and he speaks a prophetic word of destiny and purpose. And then the GPS phenomenon kicks in. And Isaiah puts it this way. You will hear a voice behind you say, This is the way. Walk ye therein. Take a left. Continue for five minutes on I-10. And then take a right. And then drive for 15 miles. And then take another left. And if you've missed the exit, he will say at your earliest convenience, make a U-turn. Decisions. Determines destiny Ecclesiastes says that God has set eternity within our hearts God didn't come up with you you are not idea that originated in the mind and the heart of God when your parents conceived you The Bible says before the foundation of the earth, he knew you. 
Ephesians 2.10 says, And he has set out works for you to do. Psalm 139 says, Before I was formed in the matrix of my mother's womb, you knew you, you knew me, and all the number of days that were set out for me were written in your book before there was one. David says this, this knowledge is mind-boggling. You have been created by deliberate intent. You are God's answer to a problem in the earth. You are a vehicle, a setup. When God looked into time and he saw that this will be an issue and that will be a thing that has to be addressed, he said, I'm going to create Dan Reynolds. He's the answer. I need that man. And even though he's birthed in England, I need to relocate him to the USA. Because here, is a destiny that is specifically crafted for him. And I have wired him. I placed on the inside of him my DNA and everything that is needed. The built is in the design that carries the purpose for which you've been created. Decisions determines destiny. If you'd allow me, I just want to pray. And then I'd like to labor for a few moments in the Word. Thank you, Father. That your Word is more than just a sermon. It is more than Scripture. It is more than an ideology, a belief system. Your word is a person, alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. You've declared that man shall not live, not exist, live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. My prayer this morning is feed us, provoke us. Cause our eyes to open and our ears to hear. Cause our hearts to perceive. And give us willing hearts to obey. That we may eat the good of the land. The fruit of the land that you have destined for us. And that each one of us, Father, would be thrusted into the very centrality of your will and your purpose. That your kingdom come and your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. This is my prayer. In Jesus name. And the people of God said. Amen. Amen. One of the greatest decisions. A person can make. After accepting Jesus. As savior. After being baptized in water. and We've got to be baptized in water. Some Christians put that off too long. It's part of the deal. When you come to Jesus. It's like when somebody dies. You don't just leave the body out there rotting. 
Water baptism is synonymous to burial. You've got to be baptized in water. And then you've got to be baptized in the living water. It is impossible to live the Christian life without the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it is advantageous. It is expedient disciples. I know you've apprenticed with me for three years. You were there day and night seeing the miracles operated with me. You saw things. You are the most qualified for the job. He says, but you have no business to leave Jerusalem until you are endued. The word in the Greek there is clothed. Where we get the word epidermis from. Until you are skinned. With the Holy Spirit. The assignment of the Great Commission. The charge that has been entrusted to us. To advance the kingdom of God in the earth. It is impossible to execute that trust. And that stewardship. Without the person, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It is impossible. We need the person of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 25, when Jesus speaks about the ten virgins, it was not an issue of virginity. It wasn't an issue of purity. It was an issue of oil. And he spoke that in the context of the end of the age. Where wickedness abounds, the love of many will grow cold. So we need the Holy Spirit. He has been given us the paraclete, as the helper, the strengthener, the advocate, the standby, the teacher, the comforter, the counselor. The one who comes alongside to help carry the burden. Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem. You will not be able to fulfill this mandate of the great permission without the Holy Spirit. If that was true for the church in Acts, how much more true for us in this day of wickedness? Where the bowels of hell have been opened up. Diametrically opposing the church of Jesus. We need the person of the Holy Spirit. But after... Those three key things have been checked. Receiving Jesus as Savior. Baptized in water. Baptized in the Holy Spirit. I believe the next important thing for a Christian to understand. And we need to understand that from the outset of discipleship. It's not something we grow into. It's what Jesus called us to do. And it's this. To live a life surrendered to the will of God. The next thing that you and I can do is to embrace Matthew 6, verse 10. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
The next important decision after accepting Jesus, being baptized in water, filled with the Holy Spirit, is to make a choice to live a life in the center of God's will. I make the statement, the highest form of living is living on earth in and for the will of God. The most powerful and life-changing prayer for a believer is the one I just mentioned in Matthew 6.10. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you begin and I begin to pray like that, we begin to connect with our eternal destiny. We begin to connect with what heaven has called you for, has birthed you for, has purposed you for. And what you are saying, I will be a conduit, I will be a channel for heaven to invade the earth through my life. This is a life-changing reality. Everything will change. Angels are standing to attention. Hebrews 1, they are ministering spirits sent to serve the heirs of salvation. But some angels are so bored. They cannot be in assignment because I'm so off track. Praying baby prayers. Where God has positioned you to be an agent of change. To impact nations. To bring about transformation. To be a womb that God can cause the earth to be visited with His power and His healing and His grace. You say, me? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Have you not seen what He does with five loaves and two fishes? When you surrender what you think is not sufficient, that is insignificant. But when it touches the hands of Jesus and he blesses it and he breaks you, he will release you to feed the nations of the world. How am I talking to the person next to you? I'm talking to you. And don't think that it's too late. Don't think that my best years are behind me. The very nature of God is to redeem. To buy back. God can do in one day what we cannot do in a thousand years. If there is surrender. Because one day of favor is better than a thousand days of labor. Of self-effort. You are God's man. You are God's woman. You have been born for a time such as this. You have to understand. God's dealing with you. God's positioning of you. The fact that you were born in that specific family. 
The fact that God has ordered your footsteps and connected you to where you are right now. There is an invisible hand of God who promised that I will order your footsteps in the way that you should go. Christianity is not a spectator sport. This is a clarion call to get off the bleachers and to get in the game of living the life of an overcomer, forgetting what is behind you. You know how they do that when they get to the finish line. Those races, those runners, they push yourself a little. Out of complacency, out of comfort, out of tradition, out of habit. There is a Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Romans 8 says if he indwells you, he will quicken your mortal body. And I will give resurrection power. It will give power to your words. It will create destiny and purpose and liberate captives. There's a world out there. Romans 8, all of creation is groaning, waiting for the manifestation of the sons and the daughters of God. We move in the direction of our focus. And I become what I behold. As a man thinketh, as a man sees in his mind and his heart, so is he. I cannot rise above the level of my thinking. So Romans 12 counsels us to come into the inner chamber and put on the helmet of salvation. This is where the battle rages. The thing is this, we may be asking God for things that we already have received. The disconnect is blessed with every blessing in spiritual places, in heavenly places. We already have received it. But I am here on earth. The disconnect is how do I bring what I have already been given from another dimension into this? Christianity is spirit life. This is not an organization. Our very DNA, our very existence is spirit. That is why Jesus said, I'm not going to give you the Holy Soul or the Holy Bible. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to show you what has been freely given to you. Even though, yes, he did give us the word. But it's possible, according to John 5, to know scripture and not know the author of the scripture. And so Jesus wants to bring us into this vital relationship where we live from heaven to earth, from the place of the finished work, from the place of destiny that has been purposed and prepared for us before the foundations of the earth. When Jesus walked into the earth, you know what he said? Hebrews speaks about, he says, here I am. Here is the body that you've given me. I've been trapped by your will. It has been written about me in the book. 
That I am the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In other words, I have come here to fully align myself with that which heaven has decreed. From before the foundation of the earth. And I will meticulously work out and walk out day by day what heaven has set out for me. That is why when Lazarus died... And Mary and Martha sent Jesus a text message to cancel the crusade and to come home because his best buddy is sick. The Bible says he deliberately stayed for three more days because he was aligning his footsteps with what heaven has decreed. This is not going to be a healing service. It's going to be a resurrection service. So he had to align himself. So that he doesn't dictate to heaven how to live. Tell God what to do because that will make me God. But for God to speak to him. So that God would say to him. This is my will. This is my path. Decisions. Determine. Destiny. I want to briefly look at this subject in the light of the book of Ruth and in the light of the book of Judges. And I'm going to do that by way of summary and hopefully you can speed up and go through this. The book of Judges is the backdrop to the book of Ruth. And the book of Ruth is only one of two books in the Bible named after a woman. The other book is? Mm -hmm. The book of Ruth in particular is named after a Gentile woman. Outside of the commonwealth of Israel. Banned for ten generations to be part of the community of Israel. Outsider, completely so. The circumstances of the birth of that nation of Moab is incest. The nation of Moab was conceived when Lot had relations with one of his daughters. Talking about outside of qualifying. The book of Judges is important because it gives context to the book of Ruth. Because it's the backdrop against which Ruth plays out. And the book of Judges contains many valuable lessons for us as God's people. It's a narrative that documents the failure of God's people to follow Him, yet in the book of Judges, we see men and women who God raised up as judges. Who had a heart for God. Who God raised up as influences in their culture and in their nation. To sound the alarm, to sound the trumpet, to call God's people out of a state of apostasy and backsliddenness. One of the defining verses of Judges is found in chapter 2, verse 10. 
And the Bible says, when Joshua's generation were gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them. Listen, who didn't know the Lord and who did not have regard for his work. So it didn't take long for the entire nation of Israel to completely walk away from God. They lived in total ignorance of God's will and his ways. And it led to idolatry, cultural confusion, lack of identity, political upheaval, social unrest, economic decline, and ultimately famine. It almost sounds like the prevailing situation in our world today. Israel as a nation sank into moral decay, spiritual bankruptcy, and a total disconnection from God's words, God's will, God's plan. And not only did they as a nation veer off from God's purpose and plan, but it impacted tribes within the nation. It impacted families within the nation, right down to an individual. Why am I going here? Why is the Lord speaking about this? It's because to let you know how critical a role you play. Your life matters in the big scheme of God's divine purpose and plan. Sometimes you look at the masses. Sometimes we look at Life Church and all the different campuses. And we see the big picture. And you think, I am just one insignificant person that's playing perhaps not a big role but in God's plan and purpose there is nobody else that can take your place it doesn't matter how big a thing God called you to do or how small it still remains significant and it still remains necessary for the purpose of God to be fulfilled and completed in the earth one word from God, one handshake, one hello, one connection. You may never ever see that person again. Could set a life on course with divine destiny. And I cannot even begin to talk about the implication of the ripple effect of men and women who step into destiny. The theme of the book of Judges is found in the words. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of God. The book is marked with a cycle which runs the course of this entire period in the history of Israel. And the cycle is simply this. Rebellion, retribution, repentance. God steps in with redemption through the Judges. And then there's a time of rest. And the cycle repeats itself all over again. The final five chapters of Judges carries the sober phrase. And in those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So in the beginning chapter of the book, it says, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. The final chapters, they did what was right in their own eyes. So they rejected God's rule. They rejected God's will. 
rejected God's ways. And they've chosen to declare themselves as Lord. Follow the dictates of their own heart, their own will, their own ways. But right in the middle of all of this reality, of all of this confusion, chaos and catastrophe, God shines the spotlight on a gentle woman that he names an entire book after called Ruth. He does that to highlight his power, the power of his kingdom, the power of his will, the power of repentance, the power of redemption, and the power of reward that comes with obedience. He's highlighting Ruth. He's putting her there as a city on a hill. And he says, I'm putting her on display as a trophy of my grace. That you may see what are the possibilities on a life, in a life that is surrendered to my will. And a life that would follow the dictates of what heaven has decreed. The book of Ruth contains 85 verses. And it has a narrative of God's saving and redemptive power. To reach, to touch, to heal, to restore destinies and fortunes. It's about God choosing the most unlikely candidate. That we would probably have overlooked. And present her to the world, as I said, as a trophy of his amazing grace. Ruth is a book of God's providence. God's providence means God's divine intervention in human affairs, resulting in a supernatural outcome. The believer who puts their trust in God's sovereignty is the one who enjoys the amazing benefits and blessings of God's providence. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that all things work together for the good, for those who are the called according to His purpose. Yes, we may have veered off in the wrong direction, took, took a, a wrong turn, like in the story of Ruth. But it contains the all-surpassing sovereignty of God and His will and His ways and His ability to take somebody whose life was seemingly coming to an end with no purpose, with no future insight, and He takes them and He pulls them back and sets them right in the center in the fulcrum of his will. And changes somebody who has declared, don't call me that. I've lost hope. This, these decisions over these past 10 years that took us to a foreign land has completely genetically modified me. Don't call me that. Perhaps then you could have called me but th th by, by that name. Perhaps God's purposes were relevant for me then. But you don't know what happened. You don't know all the pain and all the misery and all the suffering. And all the wrong moves. And all the frustration, all the anger, all the resentment. That's coming to my heart so that there is bitterness. Until God comes. And with that same mighty hand that led Israel out of bondage and slavery. 
He took her out of her bitterness and out of her pain and out of her misery and out of her past. And repositioned Naomi on the pathway of his destiny. So the book of Ruth talks about God's providence. Ruth is also a book of redemption. I'm giving you an overview and then I'm going to get into the, the punch. It's also a book of redemption. In the New Testament, redemption is always discussed and portrayed against the backdrop of slavery. In the Old Testament, it's connected with land and people. And usually, the redemption is connected to a payment. To buy back out of slavery, out of bondage, a person and property. That was the concept of redemption in the Old Testament. So redemption is always portrayed or painted and portrayed in that context in the Old Testament. Accordingly, God instituted a law in the Old Testament called the law of the kinsman redeemer, which shows up in the book of Ruth. And one has to understand that to see the profundity of God's work and the prophetic implication that is he's unveiling there, pointing to Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. This law simply meant that if a man dies without children and his land is in debt, a close relative must marry his widow, raise a child so his name and legacy is not obliterated out of Israel, and buy back the land. It was a must. It was a law that governed how life was done in Israel. It's a prophetic picture of the redemptive work that Jesus would do for us on the cross. As our kinsman redeemer. This law, this reality is what made Job... Say what he said when his wife riled and ranted and raved against him and said, Curse God and die. He lost everything. His family, sons and daughters. He lost his wealth. He was sitting on a heap of ash with boils riddled all over his body. And his wife said, Curse God and die. And Job had the prophetic insight. He could fast forward to the cross. And see Jesus, his kinsman redeemer. And he opened his mouth and he said, I know my redeemer lives. And he will be seen. He will stand on the face of the earth. Job had the ability to move forward into the future. Go and arrest his destiny. Bring it into his circumstances. And begin to walk himself out of his circumstance and his situation. Not just calling things which are not, but ordering his footsteps in the pathways of destiny. He said, woman, you do not see what I see. That my latter end will be greater than my former. 
I declare and prophesy to you that the destiny that God has upon your life is going to be greater in glory, greater in splendor, greater in size. What God has prepared for you, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. It hasn't come up in your heart. God has a purpose and God has a plan for you, sir. You, ma'am, you may be spraying prayers right now. Oh God, I do not know where I'm going. I do not know what I'm, who I'm supposed to connect with. I do not know where I'm supposed to be. But I'm telling you, when you come into line with purpose and destiny, purpose will position you for provision, for places, and for people. You are one decision away. One decision of stepping into a stream that will take you in the current of God's will and purpose. You do not listen. Have to knock. Because before you get to the door, it will be open. Destiny causes you to live life effortlessly. It brings you into the Sabbath, which is not a day, it is a person. And in the Sabbath day, we cease from our own labors and we enter into the labor of Him. It's the day of the Lord. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Cease from your labors, Israel. What you're trying to earn for 4,000 years, I, through works, I gift, I gift to the Gentiles by an act that they did not do, but what I have done on the cross. You mean to tell me that that is the deal? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Paul is so overwhelmed. The man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament who was a leading Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin. Tipped to take over the high priesthood. But when Jesus comes and reveals himself to him, he's blown away by the revelation of the incredible mercy and the grace of God. That he, he stumbles to find words to express the magnitude, the extent and the extravagance of God's grace. His unmerited favor and his mercy, meaning withholding from us what we justly deserve. So, the kinsman redeemer is a prophetic picture of what Christ did for you. To, today, I'm not speaking to you corporately in the plural. You here means singular. Because if each one of us comes into our personal destiny, corporate destiny will not be an issue. Each of the four chapters have a different setting in the book of Ruth. The first chapter in the field of Moab. The second chapter in the field of Bethlehem. Third chapter, the threshing floor that belongs to Boaz. 
and the fourth at the gates of the city. So each has a specific setting. Why do I say that? Because in the center of God's will, places are important. Geographical positioning is key. The Bible says he sets the solitary in families. And he determines the geographical boundaries for me to live. I have no business to be in the USA if I must be in China. The resources that God has earmarked for me that has to open both in people, in places, in finances, and whatever resources will be locked to me if I'm in the wrong geographical location that does not connect to my purpose. I was taught to memorize as a boy Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. This is not a game. This is your life. And for some of us, most of our life is behind us. Some of you, you still have the roar of a young lion on the inside of you. And that is what the book of Ecclesiastes says. In the morning, you've got to roar. You've got to devour your prey. So that in the evening of your life, you'll be able to divide the spoils. Some people have come to the end of their life and there are no spoils to divide. There is no legacy. There is no heritage. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children. No, for his children's children. God is a God of multi-generational vision. He doesn't just have you in mind. He's got generations in mind when he looks at you. That's why when one soul, when one baby gets aborted, it's not one life. The original word where it says, um, uh, when, when God speaks to, to, to Cain and he says, the blood of your brother, in the, in the Hebrew it says, the blood of your brother. Saying it's not just, you didn't just kill Cain. You killed every life that would come out of him. Generations, destinies have been aborted with the abortion of that one child. And there may be people in this room that have gone through that process. And secretly you're carrying a pain and a hurt in your heart. God is able to heal and to restore you and to forgive you. And he can turn that which is negative, what the enemy is meant for harm, he can turn that into good. Satan has come to kill, steal, and to destroy. The seed of the woman will destroy the head of the serpent. Word is seed. If Satan can take the seed, that is why he came to Eve and he said, Had God really said? He assaulted the seed. Because if you take the seed, let's read out. If you take the seed, he can take the destiny. Because the fruit, the harvest is in the seed. Don't underestimate the little acorn in my hand. Because what I'm holding is a forest. Don't underestimate who you are and what you're carrying. Don't even underestimate the circumstances of your birth, the pedigree from where you come from.
God specializes in the zeros because he puts the one in front of all of them. You are a vehicle and a setup of God in the earth. There's only one of you out of 8 billion people, not counting those who have walked the earth. You only come by this way once. Never again will there be a person on the face of the earth that looks like you, thinks like you. Feels like you. Speak like you. That have the destiny that God impregnated you with. Will the clay argue with the potter? Say, what have you made? Today, this morning, I'm provoking you to destiny. To live the very best life that you can live in the center of God's will. And I haven't even begun with Ruth yet. <laughs> Each of the chapters have a varying theme. I'm talking about the book of Ruth. Chapter 1 talks about the resolve of love. Talks about a young woman, Ruth. And a resolve to follow a mother-in-law back to a homeland. Chapter 2 looks at love's response. As Ruth meets Boaz, it talks about this encounter. How he's enamored and mesmerized with the beauty. And on the inside of his heart, he knows that this is destiny that just showed up. Chapter 3 talks about love's request, where Ruth asks Boaz to redeem her, and he says yes. Chapter 4 talks about love's reward. So the book of Ruth opens with a famine, but it closes with a family. It opens with a funeral, and it ends with a wedding. And now for the remaining five minutes, let's talk about the book of Ruth. Can somebody please do me a favor and read chapter one only? Somebody can read chapter one aloud for us. Are we okay, Pastor? Okay. Just, just wing to the, just, just wing to the sound man to turn up the man. All right. <laughs> in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Emelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of their, his two sons were Mahalon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Emelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women 
one named Oprah, the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Marlon and Killian had also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of the people by providing food for them, she and her daughter-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. <laughs> then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? I am, going to have, am I going to have any more sons who would become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. I want to move as fast as I can. I'm into the second sermon right now. So the, f the first was the introduction, which is something separate. So. so we're getting a combo right here. Two for the price of one. Names are important in the Bible. And many times when God talks about names, he's giving us a veiled prophetic message. For us to understand that whenever God had encounters with people, he changed their names because the name is a prophecy. In your name is your destiny. It's important. God calls the thing which honored as if it is. So he calls Abram father of many nations before he had any child. And by the way, if there's somebody that needs prayer for to conceive. We're going to pray for you. So let me quickly run through this and then we're going to land the plane. I'm going to sink from 10,000 feet, just, just down. All right, so. So chapter one, we come across the word Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. We come against the, uh, across the word Judah. Judah means praise. So it says there was a man. From Bethlehem, from the house of bread, who lived in the land of praise, who lived in the land of Judah. This man had a name, Elimelech. Elimelech means my God is king. It means that he carried the revelation wherever he was to go, whenever his name was called. He had to manifest and represent the revelation of the sovereignty of the kingdom and the rulership and the government of God. He had a wife called Naomi and her name means pleasant, lovely, delightful. 
They were married. He was the head. The government rested upon him. I wish I had time to talk about foxes of holes, birds of the air of nest. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head or his headship. Because the body was not selected yet. The way that the kingdom of God, the government is executed in the earth is on the shoulders of the body. But loveliness and delightful and pleasant was subject to Elimelech. And so if Elimelech would go haywire, if he would go outside, not connect of God's will, she had to follow. They had two sons. Malon means sickly and riddled with infirmity. Which man calls his son that? Must be somebody that lost connection. Child is born. Says to his wife, he looks very sickly and riddled with infirmity. Let's just call him that. And they pronounce a curse over the son. The second born is called Chilean. And it means pining and wasting away. Suffering, mental and physical decline. That is the name. That is the prophecy. That they seal the destiny of their two sons with. Every time they call their name. They say come you sickly and pinely. Come you wasting away. And the story of Ruth in chapter 1 is this. Elimelech lost the revelation. What his name carried. My God is king. God was no longer king in his life. He was king. So he began to lean on his own understanding. And he left the house of bread. And because he left the house of bread. There was no more praise. And he ended up in a foreign land guided by his own mind, by his own will, by his own decision making. And he took his entire family with him. And the Bible says eventually this man died. The revelation of God is king died in this family. The next generation did not have that revelation either. Because 10 years later they die. So all the man dies and the revelation of God is king. Of God is greater than my infirmity. God is greater than my sickness. God is greater than my, my, my physical decline. There was none of that. And they passed away. And they never stepped into destiny. And three women. Eventually they get married. These two men. They get married and they die. The one marries. Orpah. And the other one marries Ruth. Ruth means faithful friend. Orpah means back of the neck. There comes a time. After many, many years of famine. In the land of Judah. There comes a time that Naomi hears. That God has broken the famine. And there's bread back in Bethlehem. And you know what happens? The Bible says she was going in one direction. And then she decided to turn around and to face a destiny. And she made a decision to go back to the land where her destiny was locked up. 
And the Bible calls repentance to turn around. And that is what Naomi did. And I'm closing. When Naomi, who was now the matriarch of that family, when she came to a place of repentance, knowing that she was in a strange land, in a foreign land, having been succumbed to different decisions that brought her to a place outside of destiny, she repented. She turned around and said, I want to go back to the place where God lost and engaged me. I want to go back to the house of bread. I want to go back to the land of praise. I want to come out of this foreign land. I want to come out of this place that landed me with a broken heart, a bitter heart. And this is what I want to say in closing. When Naomi made that decision, her repentance brought Ruth into a destiny. I wish I had time to unpack this. But let me say this. Orpah left Naomi. She went back to her idols, back to her family and walked away from destiny. Ruth realized, even though Elimelech, the revelation that God is king has died. Somehow in her heart, Ruth realized the power of relationship. She realized that this woman is a gateway for me to access my purpose and my destiny. And I want to say, I say that to say this. For some of you, God has, or all of you, God has brought you to this place. God has connected you to this ministry, to this relationship. And He holds a key. They hold a key to release you into your purpose and into your destiny. Be careful to disconnect too soon like Orpah. You never hear again of this woman. But you hear of Ruth. Who became the ancestral mother of Jesus. The child that she birthed called Obed was the great grandfather of David. And a Gentile woman whose circumstances began with incest. Who was banned out of the commonwealth of Israel. Became the mother of the God of the universe who manifested in the flesh. She stepped into destiny. But this is what I want to say in closing. Or emphasize. She recognized that a destiny is connected to a relationship. To further underscore that, I'm landing the plane. We're stopping at gate seven. I believe this. It's not in the Bible, but I read that into it. When Ruth came to Boaz and asked him to exercise the law of the kings and redeemer, this is what he said. I'm not first in line. There is another relative that is before me. I first have to go to him. And ask if he wants to exercise the law of the kinsman redeemer. If he says yes. Then you've got to marry him. But if he says no. I am going to marry you. I believe. If Orpah came with Naomi. The 
possibility exists that this guy that was first in line, when he saw her, probably would have married her. And who knows that her destiny could have been sealed in the nation of Israel and she could have been written in the history books of God's dealings in the earth. Don't walk away too fast. Honor relationships. It's the gateway to eternal destiny. I remind you, decisions determine destiny. So good. So good. Wow. Come on. Woo. Church, can we all stand together? Listen, I know time is gone, but uh, I just uh, I just want to just, just take a moment to seal this word into our hearts. Our wor- the Bible says that our hearts are like soil and God's word is like seed and it's living and active. So you can just close your eyes for a moment and put your hand right there on your heart. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's alive. We thank you for your voice in print. We thank you for Solomon who's so wonderfully just discharged like a like a farmer sowing seed and has just broadcast your word and I thank you for every seed that's landed on every heart and Lord I declare today that it will take root and it will bear fruit and fruit that will remain fruit that will last Lord I just thank you that you are the God of restoration Church, I just, you can keep your eyes closed, but I just want to just, just say, just pray this prayer over you. Just, just, there's a few things that he said about redemption, that God is the God of redemption. He's the redeemer. And any answer that is not redemptive is no answer at all. I very, very rarely share my testimony very very rarely and the reason why is I hate the fact that the enemy has sown a lie particularly into young people that they've got to get themselves a a testimony the greatest testimony is that we get saved from all those things and that we never have to go through them but I do want to say this and this may shock some of you you may never have heard it But I went through a season of my life where I did so much drugs that I was clinically insane. Some of you may not find that that difficult to believe. My mother used to cry on Sunday mornings because I was so out of it. I hardly even knew my name and she would hold on to my head and say do you you know what I just said to you and I'd say no the strychnine and the LSD and the the drugs I'd been taking for such a long period of time had gone so deep into my system my memory was so bad I couldn't remember anything the only reason I'm saying that today is when Solomon talked about the God of restoration, I felt today before we close, as we begin this year, that God wants to redeem and restore some things. And I gave my heart 100% back to the Lord one day. I was walking in the valleys of a nation called Wales and someone came up to me for the second time in one day. He said, the Lord has a plan for your life. 
I won't tell you what I said to the first person that said it, but this second one, I just went, okay, I'm done. I'm, I was mad. I was eating fish and chips. I threw them on the table. I got on my knees. I said, okay, God, I give you my whole life, everything, right here, right now. And it took me a while to, to let things go and understand the culture of the king. That's why we need to find grace for those who are being saved. One day someone prayed for me and my memory came back instantly. Come on, Jesus. And I, my memory, to, even today, is I can remember things when I was two years old. I can remember things in my childhood. And I tell my parents, they say, how could you possibly remember that? But you clearly can. And church, it's just the God of restoration. When God restores something, you get more back more than you lost. So let's just pray right now. Whatever you want restored, it could be a relationship, it could be something physical, it could be something financial, it could be something relational. Maybe it's something spiritual between you and the Lord. And you once had it and you just want it restored. Maybe it's prophetic insight. Maybe it's a love for the Word of God. Maybe it's a relationship that you, you just pine and long for and you just want it restored. Maybe it's a business deal or something you feel you messed up and you lost money and you just feel it's gone and you've never forgiven yourself and there's shame attached to it. Maybe it's a sickness that's never gone away. And you think, but God, I want to pray today. But before I do, I want to allow you to receive the greatest miracle. And that's to know Jesus. So first of all, Lord, on this first Sunday of this glorious new year, we want to say thank you, Father, for sending Jesus, for dying on the cross, for becoming sin, for carrying all of our sin, all of our sickness, all of our shame, and all of our disgrace. Thank you for hanging on that tree, for being whipped until you were beyond human recognition. Thank you that you became sin, that you carried our sin, you carried our shame and our disgrace. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for rising from the dead and conquering death, for offering us, each one of us, the gift of salvation. And if you're here today and you've never made that decision, I want you to just follow me in this prayer. Say, Jesus, right here, right now, I thank you for dying on that cross. I thank you for making a way where there was nothing I could do in my own strength to have a relationship with you. Today, I accept and thank you offer you my whole life. Here it is, here and now. This is me. I give it all to you. This shame, this disappointment, these mess ups. And today, as I've heard, I want this decision to be the determinating factor of my destiny. Today, I'll find my destiny because of the decision very quickly if you just prayed that prayer can you just raise your hand I just want to see I'm not going to embarrass you I just want to have that 
opportunity to pray for you again afterwards. Father, we thank you for every hand in this room. We thank you for all these decisions. We thank you for this great day at the beginning of this great new year. Thank you for these salvations. Lord, we thank you for this restoration. 